And the author um, is a, an observer of major industry in America. And he says that there are several um, major corporations that are in trouble because they fail to change with the changing of the times. And in the book, he cites, for example, IBM and Sears who are having to play catch-up in the marketplace because they failed to catch the tide of change that was sweeping across this country. The lessons of the reckoning apply to individuals as well as corporations. We live in a rapidly changing society and we must move with it. We cannot maintain the status quo and we can't relive yesterday. For creation is always moving and urging us to move with it. I, uh, 15 years ago, I came to town. It was two weeks before school started, and we heard that uh, Michelle, who was starting the first grade, might go to Washington Irving. So I went down to Washington Irving to see if I could find somebody that, that helped me kind of get started. And because school wasn't going on, there wasn't anybody there except a workman. And so I asked him about Washington Irving, and we talked a little bit, and he asked me what I was doing in town. I told him I was a new Baptist preacher, and I asked him, can I get this a little more volume? I asked him if I could, if he went to church here, he said, no, I want to, I'll, go to, I'll go to Clara. And I, I just knew there, there was a town around here named C-L-A-R-A. It seems like yesterday, so many changes, even they even changed the spelling of Clara. <laughs> and if it's expected or unexpected, a change can bring a major crisis into a person's life if he's unprepared and unwilling to adjust. Modern psychologists tell us that sudden changes can threaten one's personal uh, stability. Not only that, but can threaten the stability of their most intimate relationships. I'm not talking about just um, life-altering changes like death and moving to a new location, taking a new job, but even the slightest change makes us feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? That's why we all sit in the same place on Sunday mornings and feel pretty uncomfortable if somebody gets our pew. I want to illustrate it. I want you to participate with me. I'm going to do something, and I'm going to ask you to help me. I want you to, um, there you go. I knew you could do it, Dwayne. I want you to do this. I want you to put your hands over your chest. Everybody's going to participate with the right hand on top. Let's do that. And then that uh, who, okay, yeah, there they are. Now, I have never done this yet. I, this is the way I practice with my, you can take your hand down, with my, my baptismal candidates. It always we put the right hand on bottom because we are accustomed to saluting the flag with the right hand on the bottom. I rest my case, but not the sermon. Uh, there are some factors about change I want to share with you. One of them is that change is relentless. 
an old settler for months camped out in the woods alone. And one night he built his fire in a little clearing and was boiling some water for coffee and was frying some bacon in a skillet of grease. And all of a sudden he heard this deafening roar and it sounded like a tornado coming through the woods. Trees were falling and limbs were breaking. And all of a sudden the biggest, meanest black bear he had ever seen came into the clearing and to straddle that bear was the most vicious man he'd ever looked on. The man had a seven-foot rattlesnake in his hand and he gave the command the bear stopped. He slid off its back, bit the head off the rattlesnake, threw it into the brush, gave a right cross to the bear's jaw and knocked it out, walked over to the fire, threw the boiling water down his throat, drank the grease and ate the bacon with one mouthful, wiped his mouth with a, with, a, with a vine, poison ivy vine nearby, and said, I'd like to hang around and visit, partner, but I gotta keep moving, for a real bad dude is chasing me. <laughs> it doesn't matter how tough you are, you're vulnerable to change. I tell you, there's a real bad dude nipping at your heels. His name is Change. And you can dye your hair, you can cover your wrinkles, and you can take vitamins in order to, 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 to maintain your energy. But sooner or later, he has you. And the world will change even if you and I are not willing. It's relentless. It's risky. There's a certain comfort in doing the way we have always done it. And so Israel came to the Jordan and they were about to step over into the land that God had promised them through their father Abraham. And there was a certain anxiety and tension because no longer was their leader with them. I mean, he had been the one who had led them through one crisis after the other. And he had been there with them in the joys and in the sorrows. And now he was no longer with them. And some of them preferred to go back to Egypt than to take the risk of change. But the reluctance to change has been a part of every era. During the American Revolution, some colonists chose to suffer the yoke of unrepresented taxation than to fight for freedom. Because to fight for freedom meant the risk of losing and a risk that some were not willing to take. And during the Reformation, there were some who said, let us maintain the status quo, and their battle cry was, give me more of the same. But the world is never changed by folks who are content with reliving yesterday. And so George Bernard Shaw said, that a reasonable man, reasonable man seeks to adapt to the world, but an unreasonable man seeks, persists seeking to make the world adapt to him. Therefore, the unreasonable man is responsible for all change. Thank God for people who have taken, who have embraced change and have taken the risk to make this world a better place. It is painful. If you don't believe that change is painful, 
You need to be sitting this morning where parents of these young people are sitting. There's a tremendous amount of pain in that. And if you don't believe there's pain and change, you hang around next fall when little kids come from the security of the womb and the nest to start to school on the first day. There's a tremendous amount of pain and change. Or when you take a new job, or you make new friendships, or you become involved in new endeavors, there's a certain amount of pain in that. But the alternative is stagnation and death. And that's a high price to pay for temporary, immediate comfort. The question is, where does God fit into all of this, young people and adults? What is God's role in the midst of a changing world? I think that we can describe where He fits in two words, immutable and sovereign. To say that God is immutable is to say that He never changes. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. His character never changes. His gospel of faith through Jesus Christ for salvation never changes. There is a changelessness about God. And so Stephen Cole in his magnificent book, Seven Habits of the Most Successful People, talks about this changeless core. And he says that that in order to endure change, a person must have a changeless core inside of him. And he says that the the key or the secret to the ability to adjust, adjust to change is this changeless sense of who we are and what we are and our values. I tell you, this changeless core that resides in every believer is Jesus Christ who never changes and He's like an anchor to which we tie in the face of change. To say that God is immutable is to say that He is changeless. To say that He is sovereign is to say that He works out His will and purpose, His plans and His dreams in our life and that he is at work doing that now. Now there are some people who say, not so, for life is on a roulette wheel and everything is based on luck or chance. That's just not true. And so the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians these words, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Now what are my options and your options with regard to this relentless pursuing dude called change. For actually, how we deal with change has to do with our perspective, how we look at it. For how we look at change causes us to see it as an obstacle or an opportunity. 
One way we can deal with change is by resistance. Fight it. How we would love to take some things the way they are and nail them down for good. We'd like to resist it. In Reckoning, the author talks about Sears who was constantly being forced by the marketplace to change their way of business, doing business, and resist it. And this stock, which once traded on the New York Stock Exchange at $64 a share, got as low as $14 a share. And so they decided they would reevaluate did the, the, did the heads of Sears Corporation. And they began to gut check, and they found out that there was this layer of la upon layer of bureaucracy because it always done it the same way. In fact, it, it says that there were 40 top executives in the drapery department of Sears alone. And what happened was that this major corporation almost died resisting change. There is also resignation. It is to say, well, you can't do anything about it, you might as well give up. I mean, it's like, who can fight City Hall? And there is this pass, not resistance, but this passive resignation that says, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. So might as well just throw up our hands and let life roll over us and bury us. There is removal. When a child is playing and he's unhappy, he takes his toys and goes home. Mental hospitals are filled with people who couldn't adjust to the twists and turns of life, too much change, so they separated themselves from, from, re from reality. And some marriages don't make it because two people have committed themselves together in the covenant of love found that as life begins to move and change to new stages and marriage begins to move from one stage to the next, from one feeling to the next, they just felt like, they just thought, well, we can't handle it, we'll split, we'll take out. Those three options see change as an obstacle. There is one other option, and that is to rescript. Not long ago, I got the book, The Comebacks, written by Dave Drevecki. Some of you have gotten that book. When I started reading, I couldn't put it down. Dave Drevecki grew up in Ohio and had a dream, lifelong dream, to be a major league baseball player. He came up through the farm system, the San Francisco Giants farm system, and became a major league baseball player. He pitched for the San Francisco Giants. They found a little tomb, a little knot on his pitching arm, and they watched it for nine months, and they, they said, well, it's probably benign, and we won't worry about it, but we'll watch it. In January of 1988, they removed a tumor from his arm, and it was malignant, and it meant that they had to take out part of the bone. Many said his pitching career is over but not Dave Drevecki. So in August of 1989, 18 months later, he warmed up on the side in the bullpen 
to pitch his first game as the comeback kid in, the, in, in, in baseball. Before he took the mound, 34,000 spectators in Giant Stadium, Candlestick Park, stood to their feet and cheered him. And he came through. He pitched for eight innings and beat the Cincinnati Reds from his home state four to three, the greatest comeback in the history of sport. Five days later in Montreal, he, he ripped a curveball down the middle of the plate and broke the bone in his arm, threw his arm off, literally. A few weeks later, they amputated the left arm from Dave Dravecki, of course, his baseball career was over. He didn't moan and groan. As a matter of fact, Dave Dravecki saw that as an opportunity for a new life and a new witness. I've heard him speak on tape. I've, I've read his book. This is what he says. I feel now that God has opened a brand new door for me to do something I could have never done before. I see this day as a day of new opportunities for both of us. A new way for witness for me, a new lifestyle for me of witness and sharing the gospel in a new way into a new, in a new uh, format. I see it for you as an opportunity for new ideas and new visions and new dreams. For new people to follow and love and get to know. The Chinese term change, for change or crisis is the symbol of, uh, you know, is the symbol of two, two symbols. One is a symbol that means despair. The other is a symbol that means opportunity. The English word crisis comes from the word krinon. It means to decide. So that in the midst of change, we have a new perspective, we have a new opportunity to decide. Am I going to see change as an obstacle? Am I going to sit and moan about uh, having to change, longing for the good old days? Or am I going to see change as an opportunity for creativity and growth or when I rescript, it means that I have chosen to take a new perspective, a new outlook on life. And so God says to, the, to his people, Moses is dead. It's all over. No. He said Moses is finished forward march let's pray together our father we pray that in the face of changing times we'll find our place in your will and become people who are unreasonable make a difference people who dare to follow the Lord. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name.
Now I have three invitations this morning. You say, well, it's crowded in here and the aisles have chairs. If you just kind of touch that person beside you, they'll let you out. They're praying for you. I invite you to come this morning to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. For I'm convinced that there's nothing that happens in our life by chance. And if you're not a Christian, God will use whatever circumstances to bring you to the point where you can allow Him to change you, to recreate you, make you new. I invite you to come this morning to place your life in this church to recommit yourself to Jesus Christ. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.